Simon, thank you. So, uh, what a blessing those words are to us. But of course, what an immense challenge they are as well. And sometimes there are scriptures that we can read to ourselves and we don't always understand just how important and what the far-reaching implications of the words are that we have read. And these words from the Apostle Paul are tremendous when, uh, when we hear them read. And Simon, thank you for reading them so well and uh, so clearly for us. It's a great blessing. You know, if your heart's not in something, isn't it amazing how you, you, know, you try to give the impression that you're enthusiastic about it? And, and you can't, can you? And isn't it interesting, sometimes you might go to a concert or something and you see uh, people singing the praises of God and yet you look at them and you think to yourself, but I know some of you and I know that some of you don't even believe in the resurrection and the power of God in our lives. It's written on your face, so you're enthusiastic about it or not, or is there something missing, is there something empty within us? And that's something that we need to be so careful about. And of course, the Apostle Paul, well, when we look at his life, uh, we demonst- or he demonstrates very clearly the fact that what he taught uh, when he went from church to church, when he was planting churches, he believed what it was that he was explaining, what it was that he was teaching. He lived it. And when people came and spoke to him, he gave them the truth. He explained to them clearly what it was to uh, be a Christian. And here in these verses that we find um, uh, this morning, we discover that uh, Paul says some pretty, pretty stressy things when you think about it, doesn't he? What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now, in our lives, I want to tell you this, that when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be some things that we will lose. But fear not, what we gain far outweighs what we lose. And we're going to talk about those two things, I hope, this morning. And of course, we all rounded up in the section that comes at the end um, here, which simply says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection because it's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us the power that we look to in our lives. So we want to look at this subject um, perhaps in a slightly different way to how we would traditionally do so. I want to look at it from a practical perspective. What does it practically mean to lose everything or to lose certain things? What does it practically mean to gain things? So in effect, what we're saying is, how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ affect us today? How does it change our lives? How does it uh, change our outlook and the way that we view things? When the Apostle Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, and we quite often uh, talk about uh, the uh, conversion experience of the Damascus Road, and I get people who will say to me, well, you know, if only that's what would happen to me, that then I'd believe. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on a moment, you've got it all wrong, okay? But what they're trying to say is, you know, I want to see a light from heaven. I want to hear voices and, 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 and things in my heart and in my life. Now, of course, we do see these things. We do hear the voice of the Lord speak to us. But it's almost as if the drama of the conversion experience takes over from actually what takes place in our hearts. 
So is it that we're looking for some dramatic event to take place rather than simply coming and recognizing Jesus for who he is, what he has done for us, what he continues to do for us, what he is pleading to do for us? But of course, uh, as Paul was walking, walking along the Damascus Road and he hears this voice, he sees this light, he trusted in Jesus And the thing which is important for us to understand is that it was instantaneous that he became a child of God. An instantaneous miracle of the grace of God took place in his heart. So did the Apostle Paul deserve what God did for him? Did he? What was he out doing? He was rounding up people like you and me. Separating families, locking us in prison, gathering a pile of stones to throw at us. Did he deserve what took place? No, he didn't. But then, did I deserve? Did any of us deserve what Christ has done for us? And the answer is no. You see, the incredible thing is, is that nothing has changed. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no change. Nothing has changed in the work of salvation for us that occurred for the Apostle Paul. You see, for you and I, a miracle takes place as well. Now, it is fair to say that for some of us, the miracle might appear bigger than for others. But it's the same miracle. And it's the miracle of a transformed life. It's a miracle of being raised from the dead. It's a miracle of being taken out of the graveyard of this world and being brought into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of heaven, because that's what happens to us. So a miracle had taken place. A cold heart, a hard heart, in the Apostle Paul had to be changed and transformed into a heart that was warm and receptive toward God. Into a heart that desired God. When does this miracle take place? It takes place whenever a sinner will admit their need. Their need of a savior and turn to the Savior by faith. You always fear that's going to happen when you press that button. (laughs) Okay. Right. I might have to ask for Mr. Techie to come up and sort this. Why does it do it every every week? Uh, Darren, can you help me or no? You know what they say about me and technology. (laughs) And you agree it was all set up, right? Okay. Thank you. That's right. So, uh, so thank you, Darren, for, uh, for helping yet again. We'll have to, to make sure you're here at the beginning each week for this to happen. 
but uh, sorry about that. So what does it mean, this miracle that takes place when a sinner will admit their need and turn to the Savior? Well, essentially, as we've already read together from the Scriptures, we discover that Paul lost some things, but he gained some things. We're not talking about losing weight here, although some of us would quite like that to be the case, perhaps. But what we're talking about here is very real. It's very, very substantial. It's something that we can't take lightly. So we discover that the Christian life does indeed bring losses. And sometimes when you hear pastors perhaps speaking, and uh, perhaps evangelists who are speaking, they give the impression that you're just going to gain everything. They might even include things like wealth. But the reality is, is that Scripture warns us that there are things that we will lose. And I think that possibly the very first realization that struck Paul when he trusted in Jesus was the realization of utterly how futile were all his good works and his great zeal for the defense of his religion. And I mean, Paul can't be criticized, can he? His zeal for his religion, for the Jewish religion, was above everything and anything else he did. He was there. He made sure that when he saw Stephen being stoned, all the coats were being laid at his feet. He had zeal. He was determined to see what was going on. So one of the first things that I believe he recognized and he saw very carefully and very quickly was the fact of the utter futility of his zeal for religion, of his zeal for good works, of the defense of religion. And he also saw just how sinful were his claims for righteousness. You see, a wonderful transaction took place. Paul lost things, but he gained far more than he lost. And it's exactly the same for us today when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will gain far more than we lose But we must never kid ourselves for one moment that there are things that we will lose. And losing things can often be the fear that stops people calling to the Lord for salvation. The fear of losing the things that we hold dear, the fear of losing the things that have become precious to us can often be the thing that stops us wanting to explore the Christian life We've heard about people who ended up when they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they were sent to some some far-flung mission place where there were big spiders and snakes and people who didn't like Christians. But they still went. And we're going to talk about some of those in a little while. You see, it's a wonderful transaction. Paul lost things but he gained far more. I want to remember that the account in Scripture of a rich young ruler, we're told, who came to Jesus in Matthew 19. You remember the story. And he came to Jesus with a real sense of pride because he was a decent guy. You know, everybody liked him. He did the right things. He looked the right sort of, sort of chap you want to get to know. And he obviously was confident, wasn't he? Because he comes up to Jesus and he says, look, you know, what must I do to get into heaven? So there was obviously a little bit of doubt there. And 
And Jesus says, well, you need to keep all the commandments. Now, it was an interesting point that he made, our Lord, to this guy. Because uh, Jesus knew full well that he was very religious. He did everything according to the book, so to speak. And so the young man says, after our Lord gives a list of the things that he should do, the young guy says, but I've kept all of them. I'm without fault. And there are times when we can say things like that, can't we, in our hearts and in our lives. I'm, I'm not wrong. And then Jesus said to him, so now you need to go and sell everything you have and come follow me. And of course, that's when things got tricky because he was a rich guy. He had lots of things. And those things were more precious than his relationship with God. Now, sometimes people get the idea that if you just sell everything and uh, live a life of poverty, that you're going to be more spiritual. No, that's not how it works. You see, it's the heart that has to change. If God has blessed you with many riches, use them for his kingdom. There was a man in England who ran or owned or started or inherited one of the biggest uh, building companies. It was called John Lang. And uh, you would see the signs everywhere driving around the country. John Lang had built this road from one end of England to the other. John Lang uh, was the name of the company and they had... uh, They had done so much and built big tower blocks, offices. And he lived in a semi-detached house in a pretty grotty part of town because he believed that every penny from his company would be used in one way or another for the proclamation of the gospel. Did he go without food? Did he go without a car? No, no, not at all. But he knew what his priority was. And so often we need to understand what our priorities are. So this brings us to the first verse in our text, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. A verse we read, but we do not really understand it, perhaps. What are we prepared to lose? What are we prepared to have taken from us if we're to have a relationship with Christ? Are you prepared to surrender all, to surrender anything to the Savior? We sing about it, don't we? But do we mean it? All to Jesus I surrender, except the underlying items. So what did Paul lose in his life as he came to faith in Jesus? Well, to begin with, the verse states that Paul lost whatever was gained to him personally, apart from God. Paul had a great reputation. He was a great scholar. He was a religious leader. And he was proud of his Jewish heritage. He was proud of his religious achievements. All of these things were valuable to him. In fact, he could have profited from them. He did profit from them. He was admired for his zeal and passion in his upholding the Jewish religion. But miracle of miracles, Paul measured all these things, all these treasures 
And he measured them against one thing. What could Christ, what did Christ offer? And Paul realized that all he held dear was nothing but rubbish, garbage, compared to what he had in Christ. Paul realized that his own treasures brought glory to himself personally. But they did not bring glory to God. They were gain only to him. And they were selfish. Now this didn't mean that Paul threw his riches of his Jewish heritage away. Paul becoming a Christian, of course it meant that he wasn't less Jewish. The opposite was true. Paul became a complete Jew. A child of Abraham, both spiritually and physically. But all that brought gain to himself had to go. So what did Paul gain when this miracle took place in his life? What were the things that he's talking about there in verse 7 particularly? What are the whatever things he refers to? Well, to try and help us understand this, I thought I'd show you this uh, picture here. I don't know if anybody can work out uh, or if you've seen that picture before. But this guy here, is, uh, his name is Jim Elliott. And uh, Jim Elliott uh, was a passionate missionary. Um, he had a passion for spreading and sharing the gospel, particularly in the Amazon region of South America. And Jim Elliott uh, worked hard amongst the Indian tribes. And on one occasion, he and four of his friends were to travel by a small plane to uh, an area deep into the Amazon forest jungle uh, where they had known of reports of a group of people that had never been reached with the gospel before. And uh, the people's name were the Alka Indians, the Alka people. And this is a small point, but I mention it because it helps us to understand the reality of the situation, is that my father also visited the Alka Indians. He flew in and landed on the same sandbar on the Amazon River that uh, Jim Elliott and his friends flew in. And uh, my father had met some of the men that had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of the work that Jim Elliott and his colleagues had begun. It all took place in January, I think the 8th, 1956. And Jim Elliott and his four friends arrived for the first time into the actual area where this uh, tribe of people live. And after a relatively short period of time, I think they'd visited once already, but the second time or so, they were speared to death. They all died. But Jim Elliot had written these words. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this was what Paul experienced. He lost his religion. He lost his reputation. And indeed his life, as church history would suggest. 
but he gained far more than he lost. Verse 8, Yet indeed I also counted all these things loss for the excellence of knowing of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now this verse tells us something very important. It's personal. Paul says, my Lord. Do you know what it is to call Jesus Lord? It means you submit to him in everything. This is a slightly um, off uh, the subject a little bit, but it was interesting that my father had spoken to uh, this group of, uh, of men that had met him when he flew out on that little MAF plane. And uh, a lot of people will say, you know, we, we shouldn't bother sharing the gospel with everybody in the world, even though the Bible tells us to do this. And my father sort of raised that particular point with the man who was the chief of the village. And the man was shocked. Who in the world would say something like that? Do you know what he had to explain? He said this. That guy's going to have trouble with his hearing one day. <laughs> the chief said, do you know what it's like living in continual fear of other tribes coming in and killing you? Do you know what it's like living in continual fear of people within your own tribe killing do you know what it's like for women living in continual fear of being raped? Because we have this idea that it's an idyllic lifestyle, running around fishing and spearing things to eat in the jungle. And he said this, Jesus has brought peace that we have never, ever had. Because everything changed. So what did Paul gain? Well, the very first thing that he gained was the knowledge of Christ. That's what the verses tell us here. What do we gain when we come to faith in the Savior? We gain the knowledge of Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus, we gain that knowledge. But you must understand that we're not talking here about the knowledge of Christ. There are lots of people, even the guy with his music as he drives past our fellowship probably knows the name Jesus. In fact, I know he will. He might use it as a swear word. He might use it to cuss, but he knows it. And this is not what Paul's talking about here. We're not talking about knowing about Jesus. I would suggest that all of us have some level of knowledge about Jesus before we were saved. Even Paul did. We have a rudimentary knowledge about Jesus. But Paul is talking here about something so incredibly different to just knowing about Jesus. To know Christ means to have a personal relationship with him through faith. Friends, I need to remind you that Christianity is Christ. 
Christianity is not a religion in the sense that we think of religion. And praise God, there are many of us here this morning who have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're able to talk about it and we know what it means. When my wife was talking earlier and she spoke about the fact that the rules were there as she was growing up. But why? Was it because they knew Jesus or knew about Jesus? Sadly, there are those even here this morning who have no understanding of what a personal relationship with Jesus is all about. Salvation is knowing him, Jesus, personally. So what is the first and most wonderful thing that we gain? It's Christ. It's to know Christ. To know him intimately. To know what he has done for us. To recognize him. To recognize his voice as he speaks and calls to us. Do you know him this way? Or does it mean nothing in what we're talking about? What else did Paul gain? Well, he gained the righteousness of Christ. Verse 9. And this is wonderful. You see, the miracle had taken place in Paul's life. His transformation from death to life enabled Paul to gain the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's great goal in his life had always been righteousness. We can't argue about that. He tells us he did everything right to see righteousness in his life. When Paul was a Pharisee, it was righteousness that he was living for. But you see, it was only a self-righteousness. It was a works-based righteousness. If I do this, God, you'll do this for me. But he soon discovered he could never attain it. But when Paul trusted in Jesus, he lost his own self-righteousness. And he gained the righteousness of Christ. The technical word that we use here is imputation. It means to put to one's account. In other words, Paul looked at his own record and he discovered, without having to think too long or hard, that he was spiritually bankrupt. And some of us are afraid to look at our account with God this morning in case we find that we too are spiritually bankrupt. And so we avoid it. You see, Paul looked at Christ's record and he saw that Christ was perfect. When Paul trusted in Jesus, he realized that God put Christ's righteousness to Paul, to his account. And even more than that, Paul discovered that his sins had been put, wait for it, to Christ's account. 
Now, what a wonderful transaction that is. I get Christ's righteousness and he gets my sin. Why do we battle on in our own strength when we don't have to? There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21 which explains this so beautifully. It says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Don't you love that verse? You see, there's the transaction that takes place. Christ became sin that we might become righteous. And God promised Paul, and he promises you, and he promises me, that he will never hold our sin against us anymore. What a gain. Verses 10 and 11, when Paul was saved... When you and I come to faith in Jesus, when we're saved, it's not the end, it's the beginning. Paul's experience with Christ was so tremendous that it absolutely transformed his life. Everything changed. Remember that it was a personal experience that I may know him. We talked about that briefly. As Paul walked with Christ, as he prayed, as he obeyed his will and as he sought to glorify the name of Jesus Christ it was all personal when Paul was living under the law Paul all he had to do was to follow a set of rules not very personal but now Paul has a friend a master and a constant companion are you lonely today there's no need to be so that's what Paul gained. And now we close by saying, how was it all possible? How was it possible that all this could happen? And verse 10 tells us. How could this miracle take place in Paul and indeed us? How? You see, the power that was needed to work the miracle of new life in the Apostle Paul and indeed each of us was the power of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Nothing else could do it. There was no other option. It's strange how people try, but there's nothing else. The power of death could only be broken by the power of new life in Jesus, and that was only possible by the resurrection from the dead of Jesus himself. On Easter Sunday each year, we particularly remember the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we do that today. However, I have to remind you that the power of Christ's resurrection is at work in those who trust him every single day, every moment of every single day. Because without this power, we are hopelessly lost. Without the resurrection, Christ could not live within us. Without the resurrection, we could not have the hope of heaven. 
Galatians 2.20 explains more. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I, and the life I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, friends, if we're justified by works, if we're justified by keeping the rules, by keeping the law, then why did Jesus have to die? The death, burial, and resurrection are the key truths of the gospel. We are only saved by faith in Christ. He has died for us. And we live by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the power of the resurrection that enables all of this to happen. Do you know the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Is it just that you know about it? But do you know that power at work in your life? If anyone could have thought that it was the Apostle Paul... And that this change could take place in him. Even as Ananias has been told to go and see him, he's fearful because of the record, the reputation that Paul had. But Paul recognized that he was dressed in filthy rags. And so, friends, this morning, how are you dressed? filthy rags or the robes of righteousness and those robes are given to you when you come to faith in the Savior friends if it hasn't happened already this morning is the time to get a change of clothes you don't want your dirty rags anymore what you want is to be clothed in the robes of righteousness and that happens when we place our trust